We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here with us. There should be on each pew near the center aisle a friendship pad. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you take that and fill it out. Let us know that you're here, whether you're a regular here or you're visiting today, and pass it down the road so everybody else gets a chance to fill it out too. We have an announcement sheet called The Connections that's inside of your bulletin, and you'll see some of the things that are going on today. At the end of this service, if they have any left, there is a chance for you to assemble a backpack for children in some of the refugee camps that World Vision sponsors. These are kids who have largely come out of Syria, and they are living in camps, and they, are, they have nothing. It's probably just kind of a cup of cold water, but, you know, a backpack with school supplies in it for a kid, pretty cool thing. So we have been assembling them. We have 300 of them, and if they have any left at the end of this service, you can participate in that. We'll see. They were going fast this morning. Next Sunday is our parish Sunday in Takersley Hall. That's hosted by our deacons. It's a chance to meet your deacon and your parish if you are a, a member of the congregation. If you are not a member, you are absolutely welcome to come and enjoy, too. It's a chance to get to know lots of people. Uh, your deacon will have refreshments at the table, and uh, quite a few people manage to sort of graze and become part of every parish and taste something that's at every table while they're there on Sunday morning. You can meet people. It's a good morning together. Um, two weeks from today is our AWE at Home Hospitality Hour. That's in the evening, and it's another chance to get to know people in an informal setting. You can see the information about that there, and we are signing up for that today on the patio. Also, in uh, this coming Saturday, we are doing a project that comes out of Fuller Seminary, the Empathy Project. Uh, some research at Fuller was, uh, has discovered that young people, young adults especially, just don't have anywhere near the amount of empathy as was in our society some years ago. And so this is a, a hands-on situation for 
families and kids and us, and whether you have kids or not, everybody, to be able to kind of step into the shoes of a child living in a poverty situation in the third world. And some of it is going to be making some things and experiencing some things together. There's dinner, too, as part of it. And you are welcome to be part of that, whether you, are, whether you have little kids or not. It will be a great evening together. You can see that our, we have a book uh, announced for our book talk, and that is available on the patio today. We're signing up for a women's retreat. The deadline for that is two weeks from today. So you can sign up on the patio today, or you can do that on the internet. Uh, don't miss this retreat. It is going to be a wonderful time together. Whether you've ever been or not, I think that you will really enjoy it. This week, we had the privilege on Wednesday of hosting the overflow from our cold weather shelter. Remember, Wednesday was a rainy night. We had about eight or ten folks who stayed in Tankersley Hall for the night, went just very smoothly. It was a great chance to show Christ's love to the community. And you could be a part of that if you would like to. You can see how you can volunteer to be helping people just by letting them in and letting they have a guard. It's not a, it's not a big deal to help with that. I think I got it. Let us pray. You are the God who makes all things new. So we gladly raise our voices and move our lips to acknowledge, celebrate, and proclaim your staggering newness. As we do, we hold in our hearts deep awareness of all the places where your newness is not visible and has not come. Our hearts link to the many places of hopelessness in our world. Move our world and our hearts closer to your newness. Work your newness in hidden, cunning ways amongst us. For you are the faithful God in whom we put our trust. Amen. The prophet Isaiah calls us to worship. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I've given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open, to open the, the eyes that, that are blind, blind to, to bring, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. Seek and find 
morning, church. Let us be seated as we continue in worship. Our morning psalm this morning is Psalm 25. To you, O God, I lift up my soul. And as the psalmist begins to sing this song, you'll notice that as we sing it, that our confidence and our assurance in God's presence begins to grow. To you, O God, I lift up my soul, lift up my spirit to my Lord. To you, I lift up my soul. Sing it again. To you, O God, I lift up my soul, lift up my spirit to my Lord. To you, I lift up my soul. up our souls to the Lord in our call to confession and our prayer of confession. Again, the prophet Isaiah calls us to confession. Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to clothe the naked? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Having heard these promises, let us confess our sins. Let us pray. Almighty, Almighty and, and merciful God, God we, we have, have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. 
We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. The sacrifice acceptable to you, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In silence and through our own hearts, we lift our confessions to the Lord. Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has, he has made created. us. Created, created in Christ, Christ Jesus for good, for good works, works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 32. 
Hear the word of God. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before their others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever have anxiety dreams? For years, my main anxiety dream was that I was enrolled in school, and I, I, it was the day we were supposed to take the test. Now, I didn't know where the class met because I'd never been to the class ever before, and I hadn't read the books, I hadn't done any of the work, but it was the test day, and I had to try to get there, even though I didn't know where it was. And usually when I did find out how to get there, it involved climbing a ladder way up high and going in a window way up high in order to be able to get there. When I was at my high school reunion uh, in September, I discovered that that campus that keeps being in my dream where I actually find the class is my high school campus. That's really weird. Uh, more, late, more recently, my uh, anxiety dreams mostly are about church. So usually I am in a, not this church, but in another church. Sometimes churches that I've worked in before, sometimes ones I've never seen before, and I have some part that I'm supposed to do in the service. I'm supposed to pray or read something or I'm supposed to preach. But I can't get up here. There's stuff in the way. There are no stairs. I can't, I can't get up front. And there's nobody to give me a bulletin. I have no, I, I just can't, there are no usher, nobody's helping me. Well, I have a new anxiety dream. About two weeks ago, I was hired by Apple Computer in my dream. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it is a dream. Um, <laughs> very anxious one. Um, so it was not in a sales place. It was more like a development office or something. It was an office. And there were lots of people who worked there. It was in Berlin, by the way, so most of the people were speaking German, which I don't understand. And I remember thinking, why didn't I take German in school? Then I would be ready for this job. I had no idea what my job description was. No idea at all. Neither did anybody else. But they were so glad that I was there. The one piece of information I was able to find out from them was that every day we had to work until 10 o'clock at night. That's the way it was. Everybody worked very long days. And I, I realized I had come in such a hurry 
that I didn't even have a place to stay. So I went to the help desk for the employees where they were speaking English, and I said, I, I don't know, where am I going to stay tonight? And they said, oh, we have just the place for you. You get to stay in suite number two. It's on the courtyard. It is so nice, not even the president gets to stay in suite number two. It is wonderful. Oh, and everybody was so excited that I got to stay. Okay, I know what this dream is about. Because you see, just before this dream, I bought a new computer, and it is an Apple. Now, for years, I have been a PC computer user. PC desktop at work, 10 years, I had a PC laptop at home. I feel very comfortable on a PC. I use it many hours a day. I am very comfortable doing all sorts of things, and I'm pretty good at it. I'm also pretty good at an iPad or an iPhone, and I thought when I got that Apple laptop, it would be a cinch. Oh, no, it was not. So the very, I bought it for the bells and whistles, all the fun things that I was going to be able to do with it. I am nowhere near bells and whistles, let me tell you. So the first week that I had it, I was working a little bit on a prayer for a service and on this sermon, and I worked, and then I saved it, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I don't have this problem with computers. I know where to find things. No, it is not. I Talk about panic. Absolutely panicked. So I went to one of the help classes, and then I went to another one of the help classes, and I can find things now in my computer, including I can find this sermon. At least I haven't lost anything yet, but you never know what just may happen. On this uh, refugee backpack project that we're doing through World Vision over in Tankersley Hall, we ordered about a month ago 300 of these uh, backpacks to assemble to give to kids in the refugee camps in particularly Lebanon and uh, Jordan. And we got some information from World Vision about it, but then we started realizing we had lots of questions that hadn't been answered yet. I mean, they told us they were going to come on pallets, and pallets are like four feet by four feet, and we didn't know how many pallets, and we didn't know where we were going to put them. And then people started asking us questions like, well, can people use a charge? Well, I don't know. How would we do that? We had meeting after meeting, and we'd figure out answers, and then we'd ask, and it would take a long time to get information from World Vision about it. Finally, we'd get an answer, change everything around. It was going to be different. So we went through this for probably two weeks. And I remember saying at one of those days when we just couldn't figure things out, you know, all we need is information, because information will relieve our anxiety. And totally, that's the way it was with both that project and with my computer. Once I had some information, it's like, oh, I don't have to be anxious. I get it now. One of the things that we showed yesterday when people were here from the town doing the, assembling the backpacks over in Tankersley Hall um, is that we had a little clip from World Vision that um, asks about what would you take if you had to leave home suddenly and knew that you probably would never come back. So they, they showed two American middle-class families. One is a young family with two little kids, and one is an older couple. They're standing out on the lawn in front of their nice houses, and they have around them a number of the things that it looks like maybe they've considered that they might want to take with them. The young, young family, the little boy, he shows us his truck. 
he's got this big metal truck. I'm going to take my truck. And the little girl has a new pink bike. And she's zooming around on, I'm going to take my bike. It is my favorite thing, my bike. And then they show us the older couple. And the, the, there's like some pieces of furniture. You can tell they're antiques. And there's a great big KitchenAid mixer sitting there. And, and the, the older woman says, you know what I think I would take? I think I'll take my grandmother's recipes. How could you even begin to imagine what you would need or when you would ever come back? What if you were in that situation of the refugees? No, I talk about anxiety. No idea about what you were going to find on the road, what you, how long you would be gone, how long you might have to walk. So many people who didn't have a clue what to take, what they would need. They just didn't have their priorities for what they would take were probably things they enjoyed, things they wanted to be able to have in their home once they started again. And it's turned out not to be at all what they needed on their trip. In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out on their very first short-term mission trip. Now, they have followed Jesus for some time and walked with him, and they have been taught by him, so they know a little bit about the sort of thing that Jesus would want them to do. But they are now going to go out for the very first time, and they're going to minister in his name, but without him there. We don't know. Are they anxious? Are they eager? We're not told that part. Jesus gives them some of the information that they're going to need on the trip. First of all, he says, you can't take very much with you. Well, that's not very helpful. You're going to have to depend upon the hospitality of strangers that you talk to as you go along the way. There's going to be hostility. It is going to be dangerous. But don't be afraid because I care for you. What could Jesus mean? He then tells them about what that hostility is going to look like. That there are going to be sons against fathers, daughters against mothers, parents and children rejecting one another. Not peace, but a sword. Ah, we think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He says, my peace I give to you. The Apostle Paul said that he made peace by the blood of his cross. And, and, and we know that he made peace for us with God and with one another and with ourselves, which is sometimes the hardest part of that. And we look forward to God's shalom when he puts everything right at the end of the age, God's perfect peace. This Jesus, however, makes us anxious. TMI, Jesus, this is too much information. We don't want to hear about this kind of division that's going to happen in our very deepest relationships if we follow you. You know, oftentimes when you are pursuing a priority, there is uh, some kind of kickback that you get from other people. Now, the city's priority for a number of weeks has been to fix the sewer on 3rd Street. Have you experienced what happened from that? 3rd Street, Street Hill has been closed, and the town has been crazy with traffic. One of you told me you thought that the traffic guy ought to be fired. I don't know who that is, who ought to be fired. So, yeah, somebody's saying that's me, so don't look around. <laughs> it was a terrible mess. Do you know how many complaints the city must have gotten? But they pursued their priority. And we probably will be glad that they did, because next time it floods, we'll probably be really glad that we have a new sewer that doesn't flood. 
Now, a few years ago, Jerry led a trip to Israel, and quite a few of us went on that trip. It was a great trip to Israel. Jerry, in his sermon last week, talked about that when he travels, he likes to buy baseball caps to represent the place that he has traveled to. I was so glad to hear that because in Israel trip, shopping was not one of his priorities. Oh, no. Well, and you know, I had to do my part, so I had to take the part of the shoppers and support them on the trip. And he will never stop telling me how Kathy's the shopper on trips like that. Jesus knows what it's like to have kickback to your priorities. Jesus knows what it's like to have trouble in your family from pursuing what God's called you to. Because it happened to Jesus and his family too. Remember when he was 12 and his family went up to Jerusalem? And then when they were done with the festival and they were heading home, who knows how far away they'd gone, and they discovered the kid wasn't with them. They had to go back and find him in all of Jerusalem. Not a small city had to go find him in Jerusalem. And they found him in the temple. And he said he was being about his father's business. His family didn't really understand what Jesus was doing, as supportive as they were of him. Later on, when he's in his ministry, we read that his family was so worried about him. They thought he had lost his marbles, and they tried to restrain him. They tried to get him to stop. And we read, too, that his brothers didn't believe in him. Can you imagine what a heartache that must have been for Jesus? Your brothers that you grew up with, playing with, probably sleeping in the same little room with, the kids that you fought with, if, he, if Jesus fought with his brothers, that they ended up not believing in him. Jesus knew what it was like to have people in your family not get it about what your priorities are. The disciples knew what that was like, too. And Jesus realizes that when they left everything to follow him, they also left families. They even left their family business. We know at least four of them, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen. And when Jesus called them, they left the family business, the fishing business. They left the nets, and they went and followed Jesus. Now, if it's a family business, who's doing the work? It's all your siblings and maybe your older father and mother who've had to take up the slack because you've gone out and you're out following Jesus somewhere. That's not going to fly very well in any family, I wouldn't think. But especially in a Jewish, in a Jewish culture that expected kids to grow up and to take on the father's jobs, take on the father's business, to be so loyal and honoring to family. Whew. What must it but have been like? Would those families have said to the disciples after a few weeks, come on, come on back. Stop tromping around the neighborhood with Jesus and come back and tend to your work. We need you here. Matthew's community for which he writes also knows what it's like to have their families disrupted because of obedience to Jesus. A number of them had been disowned by their families because they had become followers of Jesus, the Messiah. You know, with our own kids, we do our very best uh, we nurture them in the faith, we pray for them, we bring them to Sunday school and vacation Bible school, we read Bible stories to them, but some of them walk away, don't they? And there's all sorts of heartache and tension 
about some of those decisions that kids make. Sometimes we see kids who are from a family that doesn't go to church, who come here, come to the youth group, meet Jesus, and then start bringing their families here. It's kind of the opposite, isn't it? It's very exciting. And in some of their families, it's not that much of a welcome thing. It's a difficult thing when the kids decide they're going to change life and that they're going to follow Jesus. There are places in the world, of course, today where it means that you would be outlawed and also exiled from your family if you decided to trust in Jesus, if you were baptized. It's common in our culture to talk about family first, isn't it? I even read an article this week. Somebody was saying, I think that what God is going to ask us when we get to heaven, the first question he's going to ask us is whether we were responsible with our families. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that family is the top priority. Jesus himself is demanding to be the top priority in your life, a top priority even above family. That's just as difficult in ancient Israel as it is in our world to be all in for Jesus in a way that Jesus is not asking to be just one of the things that we do, but he's asking to be the top priority and to have all of the other priorities of life colored by our top priority to following Jesus. People say that if you look at your calendar and your wallet, it will tell you a lot about your priorities. Well, I started thinking about that. So not so much my Monday, Tuesday, that kind of calendar, but just what I do in a day. So if you look at what I do in a day, if somebody timed me, I think you'd probably think my first priority was food because I spend a lot of time planning food and shopping for food and fixing food and eating food and then regretting that I ate the food. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. Or maybe you would think that my priority was uh, returning my emails because I also spend many, many hours doing that. I don't think the way I spend my time reflects very well the priorities that I have in life. I do a little better with the way I spend my money, though not a whole lot better than that. Do your wallet and your calendar reflect your priorities at all? Or have they been junked up with other things? Quite apart from our sins, those lines that we prayed in the confession are true, aren't they? We have done things... We ought not to have done, and we have left undone things that we ought to have done. Some years ago, Charles Hummel wrote a little pamphlet, The Tyranny of the Urgent, and he said that too often we let the urgent things crowd out the important things. There's a lot of tension between urgent and important within our day, isn't there? What does the priority of Jesus look like in your life? How does his call on your life color the other priorities in your life? The way you spend your time, your money, your family, your other relationships, or does it at all? This is the second week of Lent. There are five weeks left until Easter. And Lent's a great season to work on priorities. I know we're two weeks in, but it's not too late to start. In fact, oftentimes in Lent, I have to sort of start over again several times. It's okay. It's better than not starting at all. People say that in, in Lent, there are um, sort of two basic kinds of exercises that people do. There are exercises of restraint 
and exercises of refocusing. Exercises of restraint, giving something up, is what most people think about when they think about a Lent exercise. But it's not about getting closer to God by not eating M&Ms for a few weeks, is it? It's more like about deliberately clearing away the underbrush, the stuff that has sort of grown up to fill life, that you didn't intend. It's not particularly a priority, but it sort of has just kind of cluttered things up. It's sort of a way to make room, putting aside some things that probably are not bad in themselves, but you just kind of need to clear them off so that you can refocus and look at some things that God might be calling you to do. One of the problems with the uh, exercises of restraint in Lent is that most people consider them to be an end in themselves. But who would send a dinner invitation to an important guest, clean the house from top to bottom, and then consider the whole event to be done? There's more to it, isn't there? So we clear our minds and we clear our schedules, maybe we clear our bodies, to free us for something else that God might be calling us to do, something else he might be calling us to engage in clear the way from things that we've just sort of fallen into. Probably you can think right off the top of your head what some of those things are that are just kind of cluttering up life. You didn't intend for them to. But they're things that it wouldn't hurt to clear away a little bit so that you could have a new pattern, a new rhythm to life. It's not just a self-improvement project, you know. Although you might lose five pounds along the way, and that wouldn't be too bad. It's more about inviting God to show you where those things are and what he is inviting you to instead, a new pattern that he might have for you. It's losing your life to find it, isn't it? The second kind of Lent exercise besides restraint is refocusing, so that once we've cleared away some of the clutter, we can begin to realign our priorities. We can begin to sort of recalibrate life into living into the priority of following Jesus. There's a new Time magazine this week that arrived at our house. I saw the cover, and it has now disappeared, so I can't really tell you what this article says. <clears throat> we looked and looked for this thing. But it is about some new research about how you can make your life longer by simple life changes. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? But the trouble is, you have to do more than just read the article. You have to actually do something. And that's the way Lent is, isn't it? It's not just about reading about it. It's about actually changing our way, actually doing something, practicing some of the ways of Jesus. Maybe it's a way to practice and even kind of try on some things during Lent that could be a way to, in the future, continue to live out your, the priority of Jesus in your life. It could be something like learning to offer what Jesus calls a cup of cold water in some way to somebody, something you don't usually do. I mean, that's what the refugee packs are, you know? It's a cup of cold water to those little kids. I mean, it, it's probably about the least you could do for those kids, but they're going to think it's really neat to get a backpack full of school supplies. That's the sort of thing... I wouldn't normally do, but doing it in Lent is kind of a, a step in the right direction. And next week on Saturday, we're having this empathy night to 
teach our families about how to develop empathy. That's a good thing to do in Lent, to try out a new pattern of life, something that Christ may be wanting to build into our lives on, in an ongoing way that we would continue to do. Uh, there's a little pamphlet called Fasting and Feasting by William Arthur Ward. We uh, printed it up for you and made, worship committee did, and made some bookmarks that we've been handing out through Lent. There are just a few left at the doors. Not very many of them are left. But uh, he suggests some very different kinds of things that you might leave behind and very different kinds of things that you might adopt. Fasting, for example, from self-centeredness and feasting on compassion for others. Even if you did one of these in the list, it'd be quite something for Lent, wouldn't it? Fasting from complaining, feasting on appreciation. Fasting from anger, feasting on patience. Fasting from half-heartedness toward Christ, feasting on commitment. The disciples said, is it worth it? The high cost of discipleship is matched by Jesus' remarkable promises that he will own you before the Father, that he will say your name and tell the Father that you belong to him, that he will take your face in his hands and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Losing your life in order to find it. It's not too late. Thanks be to God. We are going to read a part of the fasting and feasting which we have put in your bulletin. Would you stand together? By the way, <clears throat> you are welcome to take this bulletin home if you would like to engage in that or some of these during the Lenten season. I know they collect them at the door. That's only for the sake of recycle. You don't have to turn them in. You can take them with you. Lent can be more than a time of fasting. It can also be a joyous season of feasting. Lent is a time to fast from certain things and to feast on others. It is a season to fast, fast from self-centeredness, feast on compassion for others, fast from complaining, Feast on appreciation, fast from anger, feast on patience, fast from judging others, feast on the Christ dwelling within, fast from bitterness, feast on forgiveness, fast from discouragement, feast on hope, fast from worry, feast on faith, fast from half-heartedness toward Christ, Feast on commitment as his disciple. Gentle God, during this season of fasting and feasting, gift us with your presence so we can be a gift to others in carrying out your work. Amen. Let us be seated and bring to the Lord our morning offering.
Let us pray. Merciful God, you have called us to your house to worship you, to open our minds, our hearts, our wills to your presence and power. We have carefully prepared the liturgy this morning. We have sung your praise, lifted up our prayers, listened to your word, and presented our offerings. We thank you that you welcome us, Accept us, forgive us, encourage us, and confront us with your grace and truth. We are aware of how often we have not understood or accepted your mercies in our lives. We confess that our lives have embraced priorities for our busy days, months, and years, and that these priorities do not often reflect the values of your kingdom. How easy it is to casually come into your presence without recognizing that you're calling us to yourself to be our Lord, to discipline our lives, to lead us to surrender to the reality of your kingdom and heartfelt devotion to teach us how to love. We have uneasy consciences. Often we have trampled your courts only to depart with unchanged commitments. Our fasts do not, do need to be transformed by your feast. Break us out of our partial, easy ways to travel the broad highways of injustice, racial prejudice and self-centeredness, and family indifference to the things of God. We pray for the families of our church, for fathers and mothers, for brothers and sisters, for children, for grandparents and grandchildren. We pray for neighbors and friends. We pray for loved ones who are ill. We lift their names up before you from the depths of our hearts. Make them well. We pray for our nation during this election cycle. Give to us leaders with visions greater than themselves, with humility and desire to please you above all. 
We pray for economies that struggle to prosper. Give their leaders honesty and wisdom. We pray for countries torn by violence and war, for people who are running to survive and who long to return home. We pray for unreconciled divisions. We pray for the healing of ancient hatreds, for people trapped within economic, political, and religious conflicts. We lift up the deep sighs of our spirits to you. Bring healing, hope, peace, unity, and well-being to your church, to the nations, and to planet Earth. We thank you that we may play some little part in reaching out to Syrian refugee children through World Vision. We give because you first have freely given to us in our unworthiness, in our lostness, and in our searching. We present our offerings upon the altar of your mercy revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Here you claim the totality of our lives. Bless our giving so that your people may be sent out to the ends of the earth to serve you, to bear witness to your peace and justice revealed in Jesus Christ. Take our lives, take our moments, take our voices, our hands, our lips, take our silver and gold, our intellects and our wills. Not a mite would we withhold. In the name of Jesus, we pray. May our lives reflect the words he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah.
perhaps there are some things that God is suggesting that you might need to clear away. Maybe some things that he is inviting you to adopt during this time. Maybe it's as simple as beginning to practice giving cups of cold water in new places where you haven't usually done that. Maybe one of them is the refugee kiss. If they have any left, I don't know, they may all be gone by now, but you could check over in Tank Hall and see. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Thank you.